So if you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, we've been cruising through this series here, and we are in kind of the second of three parts of Romans as we've outlined it, as you can uh, see on the title slide there. I can advance that. There we go. Um, And so we started kind of for several chapters talking about guilt, and boy, thank God we're through the whole guilt portion. And now we are shifting into this second section where it talks about the grace of God, which, of course, we needed because of our guilt. So we're in chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 1. We're actually going to do the whole chapter this morning. Um, Many of you know that I'm in the middle of my doctoral dissertation right now. And um, I cannot wait to be done with this thing. It is, it's about 100, right now I'm at about 103 pages of what is a minimum 150-page project. And I have to have something like 200 sources. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, I'm finishing up the second portion of it right now of four. The second portion is the longest and the hardest. And in it is the biblical and theological sort of defense of my thesis. And also what's known as a lit review or literature review. So if you've ever done one of these before, you're probably twitching a little bit because of your terrible memories of this particular section, a lit review. And essentially what it is, is it's the part of your project where you have to show your understanding of sort of the major writings and the authorities on your topic. You have to show that you're knowledgeable of the academic conversation and that you're trying to advance that conversation. It is incredibly technical. It is incredibly... Uh, the amount of material I'm trying to hold on to and fit it all in there is um, wearying. And at each point along the way, whenever you make an assertion, you basically have to back it up with somebody who's got credentials. You know, a, they're a published uh, author, they've been peer-reviewed, researched, something like this. And it could be that I'm just seeing things because I have dissertation on the brain. But actually, as I was reading this passage this week and looking at Paul's argument here, I felt like he had a thesis statement followed up by a lit review. Now, like I said, it could be that I'm seeing things. This is very possible. But let me kind of show you how this chapter lays down for us. There's been this bold claim already, and it continues in this chapter, that righteousness, right standing with God, righteousness comes by faith. And Paul sort of goes through the negative arguments. It doesn't come from law-keeping. It doesn't come by virtue of any symbol. It doesn't come by virtue of any ethnic association. Righteousness comes by faith, and in fact, it always has. And so that's kind of what we see here. Now, that's the argument that Paul makes, but he's going to have to substantiate this big claim. This is a big, bold claim, especially to his sort of skeptical Jewish audience that he's, he's making it to. And so as we've already talked, kind of stylistically, what Paul is doing is he has this imaginary person with whom he's debating, and he sort of anticipates their questions and brings them up in his writing so as to advance his argument. That's what he does. And Paul here, to advance his argument, sort of reaches back into Jewish history and he pulls forward two case studies or two bits of evidence, or in my eyes right now, a lit review. (laughs) He pulls together some authorities from the past to substantiate his point. And those authorities are none other than Abraham, the father of the Judeo-Christian faith, and King David. So a couple heavyweights he brings forward. 
So the big point that I want you to take away this morning, if you, if you follow along with the notes, sort of the main point right at the top of your notes is this, that Paul proves, he proves that mankind has always been made righteous by faith. Always been righteous by faith. It's always been that way. God, righteousness with God or right standing with God has never come by another means. So the first point of our outline that we're going to work through is this. Righteousness has always come through faith. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So, in order to make his point, he goes back, pulls up the authority Abraham, and basically says, hey, guess what? Abraham's right standing with God was also credited to him by faith. That's what we see in the past. I think sometimes we give the patriarchs, particularly Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, up to Moses, um, we kind of give them a hard time, and we look at these guys, and sometimes we can think, they're kind of scoundrels, you know? That these are the fathers of the faith. They really made some knucklehead moves from time to time. Something I think that we forget, though, is they don't have... A Bible. They don't have the written revelation of God. They don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They have, on occasion, some direct revelation from God, but that's fairly sporadic. So it's kind of like amazing that they ever did the right thing, if you think about it, in sort of a broken and fallen world. Um, so sometimes I think we give them uh, too hard a time. And in fact, they would be envious of the position we're in that we have the revelation of Scripture, that we have seen it lived out in the person of Christ, and that we have the Holy Spirit of God within us who prompts us to do the right thing and teaches us from God's revelation, the Scriptures. They would be envious of our position. So Paul kind of brings up this point here. For the sake of argument, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, let's say Abraham was justified or declared righteous by virtue of works. He'd have some bragging rights then, right? Not to God. No one can really brag to God, but he could brag at least to his fellow man. Look what I did. I secured my salvation by working hard. Check it out, guys. But then Paul stops and says, but wait a minute here. He does something that you and I need to always do. He says, what do the scriptures have to say about this? How was it that Abraham was made right with God? And I want to pause on that point because his question is beautiful and it's something we need to take in our lives as well. We need to have a regular and steady diet of God's word that it is constantly and regularly nourishing and informing us so that when the moment of question comes up, we don't have to turn to Google and say, what does the scripture say about this? Because we are steeped in the scripture. 
because it has become ingrained in our lives. We've had a steady, nourishing diet of it as we read it regularly and live with it. So when the moment of truth arrives, we turn to ourselves and say, what does the scripture say about this? And we know, we know because it's in us. And so I want to encourage you on that. We are privileged to have the word of God. Eat it. Nourish yourself with it regularly. It is not enough to simply come and hear it preached. You need to hear it every day, and you need to hear the Holy Spirit of God awaken it every day in your life. So Paul does recall what the Scripture says. He has it. He was, he was one who was steeped uh, in the Old Testament Scripture. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the word um, credited here, this is a key word in this uh, particular section. The Greek here is loizomai, which is fun to say. And I'm going to put a little earworm uh, in your head here uh, unapologetically. All week long as I've been thinking about this word loizomai, it reminds me of the word oimowe. <laughs> so I'll just let that tune go with you. All week long I've been loizomai, loizomai, loizomai. Anyways. Uh, it's, a, it's a really cool word that he uses. It's translated for us as credited or count. It's used 10 times in these 25 verses. And as we talk often here about that repetition is one of the volume knobs of Scripture. It's where we see the focus and the intent. And so Paul is drawing our attention to this over and over again. And loizomai is an accounting term. So if you're an accountant or a CPA or CFO or something like that, this is one of your words. And Paul borrows it from that field to use it here to make a spiritual point for us. It means to count as or to consider, to reckon, or to confer a status upon. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Maybe two businessmen go out for lunch and They talk about business, of course, and so they determine that this can be counted as, in the accounting world, this can be counted as a business expense. Cost is the same, but I get to put it over here and maybe take it off my tax liability or reduce my tax liability because of it. And so Paul is drawing upon this accounting term uh, uh, that God actually uses originally, and he's pulling it forward to show how Abraham was credited with righteousness. Abraham was counted as righteous. In God's accounting, he claimed Abraham as righteous. That seriously reduced his sin liability, right? That's what God did with Abraham. And all of this was an unearned status, unmerited. It wasn't anything that he got from his work or his effort. And to clarify that point, which is critical here, Uh, Paul sort of draws out the illustration from labor. Well, let's look at the work world and and see what that has to teach us. And he shows how the difference between gifts and wages. Uh, Wages are for work performed, and then they're obligated. But funds given for no work performed, that's a gift. We all know this. And that's what Paul was claiming here. What what, uh, Abraham did by way of faith was not a work And God gave him, gifted him, accounted to him righteousness. Um, According to the accounting of God, Abraham's righteousness was not a wage for work performed. It was purely a gift. And interestingly, 
that we can be justified by faith. That's the way that it is. And what Paul is showing here is that's the way it's always been. Faith has always been the means by which one is justified. And this is important because I think we can oftentimes think like of the Old Testament saints, we can think, well, they became righteous through other means. We might think they became righteous by their law keeping, or they became righteous simply because of their ethnicity, because they were God's chosen people, or they became righteous because of works or symbols or something like this. And that's not the case. It's not the way that Abraham was justified to the Father. Those systems weren't even in place. His justification came by faith, as does ours. But then we might look at that and go, hmm, okay, but let's say Abraham was a special case. Well, it's almost as though Paul came equipped for that. And he says, well, let me bring up another fella. Uh, Let's go King David. He's an expert in the field in our lit review of this point. What does King David have to say about this? And what we find out is that David claimed righteousness by faith as well. Verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So you notice in David's song here, in his psalm, his song, his poem, whatever you want to call it all together, this is apart from the law, apart from works. There's nothing here about merit or earning. There's nothing here about David's privileged status as king. It is purely upon God's mercy and his grace. And and as this passage unfolds, it's clear that the really is a sinner, that sin is forgiven, covered, and not counted against them. So right standing comes by faith. That's the way it is. And in fact, that's the way it always has been. We can see it not just from one case study, but two. So we move to the second point here. Righteousness never came by means of a symbol. And basically what Paul does now is he's going to work through several sort of false Uh, thoughts. And one at a time, he sort of brings them up and then shoots them down. Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he, then, he is then also the father of the circumcised, who, are not only, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, I do not like Paul's sentence structure in case you cannot tell. I cannot hardly read the guy. There's, anyways, I won't pick on Paul. I don't gonna get struck by lightning here on stage. So. But essentially his point is what came first? And we find that it was faith that led to his justification which was followed by the sign of circumcision. So as some upstanding Jew might say, we bear the mark of the covenant of God. And that is how we are saved. And Paul would simply go, ah, that's not the sequence of events here. 
It was the status that preceded the symbol. And he kind of goes on with that, and I'll say it this way. Circumcision was an outward symbol of an inward reality. We use this same terminology when we speak of baptism, right? We talk about, by, by baptism, it's this beautiful rehearsal of the gospel, but it is not a means of grace. It's not by baptism that something is conveyed to the person. It's a symbol. It's a beautiful symbol. And that's why we, again, we practice immersion here as we believe the proper mode. So a person is lowered into the water, symbolizing their death to sin. And under the water, symbolizing the cleansing that God has already done in them. And the raising up out of the water, symbolizing that they have been raised to new life now and will be to come. And so it's a beautiful picture and rehearsal of the gospel. It's a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward reality. And so I think circumcision is very similar in that same way. It's a sign of the covenant, but it's not the means of the covenant. It's a symbol, but not the substance. It's the wedding ring, but not the wedding vows, so to speak. And so the conclusion on this point is this. Abraham is the father of all who are righteous by faith. Not just an ethnic group, not just those who bear this symbol, but all who have faith in God. So then he goes on to the second negative claim, and that is that righteousness never came by means of the law. Verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So this next point here, righteousness never came by means of the law. And I think this is really a point worth emphasizing because I think there are many New Testament Christians who have a wrong view or a wrong understanding of this. And we might think that once upon a time, righteousness did come through the law. Or we might think about the two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. The covenants of law and the covenant of grace, right? And we might look at that and go, well, See, they were made righteous by the law, whereas we are made righteous by grace. And that would be a total misunderstanding of that. So the short answer to this question is, righteousness has always come by means of grace through faith. In Abraham, in David, in any of them. Um, And so one of the things that we we find, I think particularly from uh, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, they give us a really good tool that I, I would love it if we were just sort of conversant and very familiar with this. It's the five solas of the Reformation. And I actually meant to print them in your notes and I, I didn't get it in time, so I apologize about that. Uh, but I want to go through them really quickly here. Um, they are in Latin because, as we all know, Latin makes everything clearer, right? Yeah? Okay. So here they are. You, hopefully you know these or have heard these before. The solas. Sola 
gratia, which means by grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Solus Christus, which means in Christ alone. Sola scriptura, which means according to scripture alone. And soli deo gloria, for God's glory alone. And the way we get to construct all of this is not just these five you know, individual points, but they operate together to tell the story of the gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And that is one of the beautiful takeaways of the Protestant Reformation that affirms really what Paul is teaching here. Uh, Martin Luther also had this one pithy point. I was talking to my son this week about my sermon. He goes, oh, dad, you've got to use this quote. So this is from Aiden for you all. He said, Martin Luther said this, the law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and it is already done. I was like, oh, good job, Aiden. Maybe you've got a preacher in your future. I don't know. So Abraham's heirs are not heirs of the law, but heirs of faith. So someone might then ask, well, what then is the virtue of the law? What then is the virtue of this sacrificial system? Why was that even here? What was achieved? And Gregory Kokel, in his book, Story of Reality, has a great quotation about this that I think is very helpful. He says this in regards to the sacrificial system. He says, the sacrificial system God gave the Hebrews, as important as it was, served only as a kind of sop, a temporary measure to cover man's moral wound for the moment. Now, let me take that and, and advance it a little bit forward. I like to use the illustration of your credit card balance. I don't mean to make everybody sad just now if you've got a credit card balance. But the sacrificial system is kind of like making minimum payments on your credit card. You're not really paying off the principal. You're not really getting anywhere. You're not really advancing things. You're kind of just staying in good graces with your creditor with the hope and understanding that someday it will get all paid off. And the sacrificial system was a lot like that, kind of like a minimum payment. It didn't really cover anything. It just showed a participation in God's redemptive program by faith that at one point in time, the balance of sin would be paid off and it will be paid off in Christ. Now, they didn't know everything about what would happen with Christ at the cross, so they were believing by faith in this program, not that this achieved it. Christ is always the substance of our salvation. And they participated in that program as a token of what was to come. That was a participation by faith, so to speak. So Christ has always been the basis of man's salvation and the only true payment for sin. And on that basis, Abraham is sort of, he's our father too, because we are those who are saved by faith. All right, the final negative point here is this. Righteousness was never by means of ethnicity. Verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. 
the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So again, Abraham is the father of all who believe. Right standing with God was not just the sole possession of Israel as the chosen people of God, but that anyone who has faith in God's program of redemption through Christ can be uh, justified before him and in right standing with him. Israel was privileged by God as the first recipients of the law. Uh, They were privileged as stewards of it. Christ came from their line. He came to them first. And even with Paul and the apostles, the Jews were given first right of refusal, so to speak. But the promise God made to Abraham was always about the nations. And we see this beautifully fulfilled in the visions of heaven to come. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation not just one particular ethnic group. So the conclusion of all of his, his arguments here then is this. God's credit of righteousness is the possession of all who have faith in Christ. In the accounting of God, he can reckon us as righteous if we trust in Jesus and in him alone. Now, now that we've traced through Paul's argument here, Uh, We kind of see his thesis. We've looked at his lit review with Abraham and David. We've seen the negative arguments leading to his positive conclusion. We might ask ourselves this question. Why do we care? Because in a sense, Paul is answering a question probably not being asked by many of us. He's sort of dealing with the question of a skeptical Jewish person wondering how these Gentiles can also be in the family of God or reconciled to God. They don't keep the law. They don't bear the symbol of circumcision. Uh, They're not of our ethnic group. How can God be gracious to these people? And so that's the question that essentially is being asked here. And Paul defends his assertion. In fact, people have only and always been made righteous through faith. Having proved this justification by faith, I think the impact for us ought to be this, that we can stop and reflect upon how good the grace of God is for us. In other words, consider how wide is God's grace. The nations, all the nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation have the opportunity through faith to be right with God. Consider how generous is his grace. It doesn't cover some sin or a couple sins or a category of sins. But the grace and the mercy of God can cover any and every sin, all sin. Consider too that the grace of God is anchored in something. It's anchored in what Christ achieved for us. Aren't you glad that your salvation does not depend upon what you can earn? Because we would be DOA, right? But Christ achieved it for us. The grace of God is anchored. And I think all of this should lead us to celebrate. So I want to close this with a bit of a story to hopefully bring this home here. Um, A couple years ago, uh, when Eleanor, our middle child, uh, only daughter, uh, when she started to drive, we thought we need to get another car so she can get herself to school and pick up her brother and all of that. So we got another car. And um, anyways, when she graduated from high school, um, we realized that Aiden, my oldest son, 
uh, down in Biola and, and had a, he had an internship in Seattle. He was gonna need the car for the summer there and we thought that's how we'll support him his senior year. He can use that for his internship and then keep it for his senior year at Biola. So anyways, so Aiden has the car down there and um, it's still registered to me though. Okay, you can see where this might be going. So um, I, we have a service uh, through the post service, postal service. Maybe some of you have this as well, where it sends you an email with a picture of all the mail that's supposed to come to your house. So it's nice because you can tell, did you get all your mail or was maybe something taken out of your mailbox? So some of you are going, that's my application today. I'm going to get that service for my mail. But, so we have that. And I was looking at it one day and I noticed that I was getting a piece of mail that, um, that said toll. So I opened it up and looked at it, and I'm like, toll, it's Seattle, what? And then I realized, oh, that turkey Aiden used a toll road, probably unknowingly, and he got charged. They assessed the fine, and they sent it to me because the car is registered to me. The fine was $3.50. And that's such an annoying amount. It's just the right amount to go, this isn't terribly important as you set that piece of mail on the clutter counter where mail goes to get lost. I forgot about it for quite a while. And then I got, as I was looking at the mail that was coming in, I noticed another picture of a piece of mail and it said, civil penalty. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, that kind of has a ring to it. I opened that up and it was no longer a charge of 350, but a $45 fine had been assessed. Now it was 48.50 and I felt that. So I got on the phone and, uh, and called up and was going through the different menu options. And along the way, one of the menu options was you could apply for a one-time forgiveness. I was like, there's hope. All right, let's do this. So I finally got a customer service uh, person on the phone and she was lovely and helpful. I got such good customer service, not like Alaska Airlines, as I've been telling you. (laughs) I've got to dig them just a little bit. That's an inside joke for those of you who are new. Ask around. Um, and I asked her about this and she said, yep, you're, you absolutely qualify. We can, we can apply that. She says, we'll wipe out the penalty uh, and you're just left with a $3.50 fine. And I said, that's great, let's do it. She applied it and I was like, thank you so much. And as I was hanging up the phone, I found myself saying, thank you for your forgiveness. And then it just hit me like, I'm thankful for the forgiveness of God, but do I feel it? I, was, I felt very happy to be relieved, forgiven of a $45 fine. And I think there are times as a Christian when I'm not as thankful as I ought to be because of my familiarity with what God has done for me in Christ. And I don't want to grow complacent about that. I want to be thankful for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. I'm going to add one last thing to this. One other way we could think about this whole passage, it'll be familiar to many of you. We could summarize this whole thing this way. Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them by faith, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Who knew that song was so rich and right out of Romans? Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you for the way it was anticipated all the way back to Abraham of one who would come and take our place so that many nations, people from every tribe and tongue and nation could be your family.
could be forgiven, could be made righteous, not by any law-keeping, not by any ethnic association, not by any symbol, but by Christ through faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Thank you for that. We want to rejoice in you for the salvation we have in him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.